good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm your host, Marcus Gillis, and we are recording live from Banjo, Colorado. Population growing. Welcome to episode number 30 of the Live from Banjo podcast. Three decades old, if decades were podcast episodes. Yes. And by decades, I mean years. Kind of like century. Yeah. Mm, I don't know about that one. Is that a word that's universal? Like, you can use century in century ride, which means 100 miles of biking. Yeah, I mean, century was originally as years is usually the consideration, but we've already talked about this. Oh. How are you doing tonight, Crystal? I'm good. I have two baby pickles growing in my garden. My allergies have stopped messing with my life, and I am looking forward to a four-day all-alone getaway in Des Moines, Iowa this weekend. It's not really a getaway. I have to go home for a memorial service, but I'm trying to paint it in the most positive light I possibly can. Walter, are you going to chew on that the whole time? Any other news from the week? No. I did a couple open mics this week. That was fun. You did a couple open mics this week. Um, so we're here to talk about Anna Tivill. Anna Tivill is a singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist, most notably the violin and guitar. She was born in LeConnor, Washington, She grew up playing the violin, which she had learned to love the sound of its cry while her and her sister watched her grandfather play when she was a young girl. With not much to do in the mostly isolated area in the northeastern corner of Washington, Anna became curious about nature and the bugs and critters that inhabited the area and became a consistent observer of the wildlife and her surroundings. Her observing behavior grew to include people as she watched and interacted with folks across the country. Her proclivity for observation combined with a seemingly deep sense of empathy has given Anna the ability to write songs which allow listeners the experience of feeling the soul of the characters in her songs. Anna moved to Portland for college where she played violin for a number of local Portland-based bands. However, luckily for us, Anna found songwriting in her mid-20s and fell in love with the process. She released her debut album in 2012 as Anna and the Underbelly. She since released five more solo albums as Anna Tivill. During the pandemic in 2020, Anna released a solo acoustic version of her 2019 critically acclaimed The Question. Her most recent album, Blue World, is a series of older Anna Tivill works reimagined with with only keys, percussion, and Anna's signature voice. There's one new song on the album, which Anna and I discuss in this week's episode. If you don't know Anna's music, please go check it out. Links are in the show notes. I really love Anna's voice, her songwriting, and it turns out she is a really kind and thoughtful person too. I hope you enjoy the very open, vulnerable, and sometimes humorous conversation in today's episode. Thank you so much for everyone that is listening. Please tell your friends, family, and complete strangers about the show. And again, please follow us on Instagram at Live from Banjo Podcast. Find me on Facebook, not MySpace, at Marcus Gillis at Live from Banjo Podcast. And we are now live on Patreon. So please help us keep the show alive and become a patron at patreon.com backslash Live from Banjo Podcast. And please follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and set your reminders so you never miss an episode. All right, Miss Crystal, what do we got in the wrap up tonight? Tonight, tomorrow, yesterday, while you're driving to work and possibly while you're folding laundry later. Or while Walter walks around with a piece of plastic in his mouth that he knows he's not supposed to have. He's telling on himself. Oh, in the wrap up that we talk about stuff together. Mm -hmm. Uh, We chit chat about Eunuch Wayman, a.k.a. Nina Simone. 
and the piano. Idolizing versus idealizing. Reverb Nation versus Bandcamp versus SoundCloud versus MySpace versus Facebook. Versus the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. <laughs> Basically. Actually, that doesn't feel right. It doesn't. No. I just wanted to I wanted to go far. You went maybe too far. I never go too far. Yeah, you cliffed out a little bit. And then we talked a little bit about the Shook Twins and Sandpoint, Idaho, which is a very adorable little town close to Coeur d'Alene. That it turns out I have never been to. Now, please enjoy my conversation with the soft-spoken and lovely Miss Anna Tibble. I'm hearing you. You're hearing me. Yes. That's pretty great. <laughs> it's communal hearing. So hi, Anna. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. What have you been up to in the recent? You've been back touring a little bit or playing around? Yeah, I just got back from my first kind of tour thing out out in the world since the pandemic. And that involved like an airplane and shows for people in a room and stuff. And yeah, yeah so interesting. And yeah, it was sort of wild and it was like, old and new at the same time, I think. I think that's a good way to describe it. It's like a sense of nostalgia, <laughs> something or like a deja vu in a way. Yeah. Yeah. But the past two weeks I've been kind of out and just to be out in the world and around people and, and sort of the feeling of live shows and stuff. And I was thinking so much about how this, this whole year and a half or whatever of time to sort of like beautifully and painfully sit inside of your own mind and how that sort of has changed everything going back out into the world and, and having all these things that you've realized about yourself or that you've named, you know? Yeah, definitely. I, I felt like I was going through a pivotal moment in my personal life, just accidentally timed with the pandemic. And uh, I quit <clears throat> drinking the day before everything shut down or kind of the day of it made this as a personal choice. And then we went into a pandemic. And so I was going through a lot of dealing with, you know, childhood traumas and those kinds of things. And then we went into this pandemic and it was hard at first, you know, not being around people. But then I grew to be so comforted in it because I was with my wife and I had my dog and, you know, I had the things other than my daughter not being there at the beginning. I had the key factors around. And then mm -hmm. it's been a hard transition for me getting back into being amongst people, I feel. Like there was stuff in there that you found that you kind of don't want to let go of a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Mm. yeah <laughs> sure. Me too. Yeah, me too. Totally. And it's, yeah, it's really interesting to feel that. And it, it makes you feel really grateful to, to have had that time and to have had that time not feel just like pure survival mode, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, I feel that so much. I think it's interesting because during the pandemic, there's the kind of larger thought of what we were dealing with was this is terrible. We're all having to experience this thing and we're all locked up. And so I, as being a guilty person, just like in general, I just feel, feel ultimate <laughs> guilt all the time. Yeah. So I felt guilty and being like, but I love this, but I probably shouldn't have felt that because nobody feels bad now for me about wanting to have to go back <laughs> out into the world. When, when it was the majority on the other side, it was fine. And now it's not so much. So I think I've, I should have felt less uh, bad about how I was enjoying <laughs> my time at home. Yeah. I've heard that from so many 
many people though of just this mixture or like that this time has been so clarifying like especially from musician friends of, of like the things about shows and the constant moving around and being around strangers and getting to play of getting to be like really vulnerable in front of people like the things about that that really feed you and the things about that but like having it taken completely away for so long that you realize you're like okay this is the things about like aloneness and isolation and and like not being a performer that really feed my soul and these are the things that make me feel whole about being out in the world and being on stage and stuff yeah it's a lot it's hard to admit to to <laughs> not feel guilty and also to just like let it have been a really crazy time and that as things hopefully kind of move back toward a normal thing have it not feel like you should be better at shifting into that time you know you should just like walk out your door and be like yeah <laughs> hello world yeah <laughs> i talked to my therapist about it but i always say i want my cake and eat it too thing like i i want all the good things and i feel selfish about those thoughts and that i want the pieces that i liked of the other thing but then there's certain aspects that i want to be able to do and i like to be able to move and get out and go and be amongst people every once in a while but there's just i just want it all i want all the good yeah. things for me <laughs> that's yeah it's a little bit selfish but i guess we all have some of that inside of us yeah or like sometimes maybe selfish isn't bad maybe that survival selfish is just like knowing yourself well enough to i've been thinking about this a lot too like when you serve those things you're way better to people yeah you know when you like name those things and you're like okay i need more time alone than the rest of the world seems to need <laughs> and when i do that for myself even if it feels like selfish or then i'm literally better to all the people that i love i don't know yeah even though i just sit there feeling guilty about it <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. The, the whole concept of self-love is just such a it's a real uh, hard thing to get get into yeah. but you know supposedly it's the answer because it's so like gooey on the <laughs> internet i feel like it's so squirmy yeah it is so you just released Blue World? Yeah, that I just released this. Yeah, it's like sort of a compilation album, reimaginings of older songs and, and one new one. Right. And I just love the piano as an instrument. When I sit around my house, if I'm like reading or studying or researching, I usually listen to some kind of either classical or instrumental type of piano heavy compositions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you like a lot of modern stuff? for older stuff when you think about piano and what you listen to? I don't know. I haven't actually dug that deep into it. And <laughs> I just have this friend in town. I'm so... <laughs> I feel so like a loose cannon in the, the way I wander through music. But I have this buddy in town who's been playing with this band that I put together sometimes. And I just love the way he plays. He has such a deep jazz knowledge, but it doesn't sound like anything I've heard. And he'll like go so far out there that I'm like, what is that? And he can play both with like such technique and such raw heart, I think. Yeah. I hope you can't hear my dog licking his butt over there. It's okay. Walter's asleep right on the other side side of this screen and he's a regular guest on the show and winds at me my wife and i do this thing called the wrap-up at the end of each show and we sit in here for like an hour and he's almost always whining by the end of it so he he's a, <laughs> he's kind of a another co-host on the show so yeah it's okay to have dogs licking butts i went around <laughs> a long way of saying that kind of long-winded sometimes me too 
but I listened to this new album and then I had heard, I don't know if I read it or if you said it somewhere, but to just go into like a dark room and listen with headphones. And so last night I was going to bed and I was like, you know, that's what I'm going to do for like my nighttime ritual tonight. I, I have a Bluetooth head mask, which is fantastic. Wait, I don't understand. What is that? Like a face mask oh, that you like, like a night oh, cover, awesome. but it's got soft padding and then it's got little, you know, they're not the best speakers in the world, but they're decent and you just can kind of shift them around to sit in your ears. And so that way you can like lay down and listen and go to sleep. And then oh, that's so great. Crystal and I can listen to either different music or she can listen to her political podcast while I don't. Just, yeah. <laughs> that seems like an awful thing to listen to right before you start to go to sleep anyway. Let me tell you, I have tried and tried to uh, let her know that uh, I think it affects her mood sometimes. But <laughs> this last year was a lot and she just wanted to stay in touch, I guess. I digress. Uh, I was listening to your album last night and I was listening to kind of all the little sonic subtleties and things. And it was Galen Clark and Micah Hummel. Is that right? Yeah, Micah Hummel. Mm-hmm. And you kind of let them go off on their own kind of sonic landscape. Yeah, I really love there's this album. Have you heard that Nina Simone album, Nina and Piano? It's just literally called Nina and Piano. My friend introduced me to that album a couple years ago and I've just been really obsessively listening to it and I love the way she like winds it around her stories and also like what she has to say and the piano always just like matches so well what she's trying to say and I really I had been thinking about that a lot and then I don't know just the pandemic and playing only by yourself to a wall for so long and I was really missing that feeling of making music with friends and and hearing you know the way like when you bring other people into your music it suddenly feels so much more alive or something it feels like it's alive in ways that surprise your mind and you don't feel like it's all yours or something it's it's like everybody's song and I think I was really missing that and none of us were playing anywhere and so we was like what if we just like mess around with this in your basement and we did that and it just felt so good to me to not even play and to just sort of like try to tell a story over Galen like weaving it was this constant conversation of like go further out go further that was kind of what I was trying to get to was I was wondering how much input you had in the actual composition of the music and where you know you were guiding them or did you kind of give them the songs that you wanted to work on and let them kind of just go both I feel we invited Micah to come after we had done a bunch together but Galen and and I spent a lot of time just sort of I don't speak like a musical language in the way he does it all so I couldn't be like here's charts or you know I'm very I'm very like I know about nine chords and I just hack away at the guitar and and mostly I just want to write and so he definitely did all that stuff and could feel where songs were going and I'd sort of like play them with him on guitar until he felt the forms and then I'd stop playing guitar and then we'd just sort of try them again and again and communicate I think we really understood each other of like what we were wanting to feel. And it was something that wasn't like straightforward jazzy or like straightforward gospel sounding. We wanted to like make sounds that were unexpected or we did all this stuff with pedals. And I think he had a good time trying all the pedal stuff that he can't usually try in normal gigs where he's like part of a big band. So he sort of got to like hit things with screwdrivers and do all this stuff that we thought was so fun and that maybe you just don't have time 
time or or like musical space to do when you're part of a bigger group. Yeah. It just felt like free exploration time, I think. And he loves playing. And then I just loved listening. It felt like this treat to go sit over there and listen to him wander around on piano and then just sort of try to tell stories on top of what he was playing. Well, I think it came out pretty well as a creative project. (laughs) So everybody that I've read talks about the poetry in your songs. And of course, when I heard your music, that's first where my mind goes to is that it is definitely poetry over song rather than poetry pushing song, I think I would say, you know, it's not in the uh, the grizzleness of your voice. But, you know, I think of like Tom Waits and Leonard Cohen, I'm sure you've heard a gazillion times. But with Two Dark Horses, the new song on the album definitely has that feel of poetry has this feeling of a dream when you listen to that song. And that's kind of where my mind went. And my early career was in film work as a cinematographer. And so immediately created this music video in my head as I'm hearing this song of these horses, but then this couple that is trapped in COVID captivity and like going out into Mm. the world and putting on their masks and kind of coming back out and having this relationship and then this eventual releasing to the world as these horses are (laughs) releasing out into the world. I love that. Where did this uh, (laughs) two dark horses kind of come from? Oh no, is it frozen? It was for a minute. Yeah. Sorry if I smoke, if it bothers you. It's just an e-cig, but you know, something. We're not even (laughs) in the same room. <laughs> I know, but it's still like it triggers people sometimes seeing smoke coming out or steam or whatever. I feel like e-cigarettes are always so it's like this magical mixture of like it makes no sense to my mind. I and it's always something like that looks like a chapstick, and then just smoke comes out of your and it's what is happening? I like it. Well, it makes no sense to my <laughs> mind that I do it. <laughs> I just I think it reminds me of when you see you know those new this is off topic, but you know those new skateboardy things. It's like one week and a balance board and people have like elbow pads and they're like briefcase and they're just zipping around and it just seems like the future it does i think e-cigarettes feel like that too yeah it's not the uh michael j fox future that i imagined but it's the closest thing we have to it. Totally. Yeah. It's like mixture of what's happening now. And every time I see one, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's just going to be how we get around in like 20 years or something, which is probably not true at all. But two dark horses. Yeah, I wrote that one. Some songs I feel like they are way more poems. And that one I wrote with the guitar part, but it sort of was like on a long drive on tour. And it was when you like wake up early in the morning sometimes and you're driving and it's really pretty and rural. And there was this like really misty field. And there's these two dark, like literal two dark horses like going through this field. And I, I was listening to the news at the same time. And it was a couple years ago, I guess, and just the rhetoric of politics. And this feeling of like this separate information that people are getting and, and how much it's hurting us and how much it's making us hurt each other and just sort of, I don't know, I think it was like a very poemy trying to get out of my system. This feeling of like the more you can like empathetically try to see where people are coming from and learn what's true, the more you might be able to be free of that kind of ugliness. I think it came from something like that. But also songs are so, it's like you kind of feel what they are. And then, but when you're in the process of writing something, you're not like, okay, so what I'm thinking is that... (laughs) 
exactly. you know, this, I want to have these aspects. You're sort of just like trying to exercise a demon or something. And then it comes out and you think, okay, I think that was me trying to exercise this particular demon. Talking about empathy, when you were a kid, you were into bugs and wanted to be an entomologist. Is that correct? Yeah, you did research. I don't know where that existed on the internet, but yeah, I was such a funny goober of a kid. I think I was and still am a total hermit. I really like to be alone and I really like to be in my head and it doesn't make very much sense up there. And it's sort of like I'm not like following a specific thread very often. And I think that's a place I like to live. But yeah, bugs. I loved bugs. I loved like making worlds. I sort of grew up partially in this really forested, beautiful area and there weren't very many people around. So sort of like just making your own fun in the woods and imagining this whole world all the time, collecting bugs and thinking that nature was alive. I mean, it is, but you know what I mean? Like beings, yeah. friends. <laughs> I read or something that you would let mosquitoes take your blood just to, to watch the process. Yeah, that's so weird. I shouldn't say things like that out loud because then they exist on the internet. It's, it's okay. <laughs> Only weirdos like me that do a ton of research find them. So yeah, don't worry. It's not anything yeah. to be concerned about. But the, the reason why I asked about it is because I kind of think about what I've gathered from your songwriting process is that you're kind of still doing the same thing in watching <laughs> and observing and kind of pulling out pieces of people's life. And I think, you know, that idea that as a kid you were, you know, watching bugs and just kind of allowing them to be. And I think you've gained a sense of empathy for others that maybe has some connection to that childhood of watching and just kind of understanding that, that the bugs were something greater, nature was something greater, and then getting back to where you are now. And I totally kill mosquitoes now. <laughs> Do you consider yourself an empath, though, when it comes to humans? Yeah, I don't I've been trying to name this thing lately, but I've always felt like I don't know what's going on. And I, I have very often felt like I don't have access to something that makes sense. And, and I feel like I see everyone around me. And this is probably so common, like you always think everyone else has it figured out. And you don't, but I've felt always a really strong sense that everyone seems to be able to like name what's happening to them, or they have a lot of con conviction about their thoughts and they feel like their thoughts are worth sharing or that I don't know how to describe this thing, but I have realized that I, I feel a lot more comfortable watching the way other people tick and kind of trying to feel the world as an outsider than, than to like get in there and be like, well, this is what I think. Or I just think I have trouble expressing things in a way that I feel makes sense. And, and except for in songs, is as like a way that I've found where maybe I can take long enough to really work it in circles until it feels right and then present that. And the people listening to a song, they don't see the like 27 hours of complete chaos that went into making that thing that, that maybe feels a little bit more concise, you know, which is so beautiful. And I love that about songs and about hearing other people's songs. 
Yeah. But yeah, I think I've always felt more comfortable watching from the outside. I have not felt very much like what I have to say holds much weight compared to to like louder, more convicted <laughs> human beings. <laughs> I feel like I have like the Benjamin Buttons thing when it comes to understanding the world and what's going on. Huh. I like that. Like when I was really young, I felt like I had so much conviction. I had it figured out. Even as a young kid, everybody's like, oh, you're an old soul. You know, like I could diagnose my parents' problems and give it to them and be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense huh. at like 10 years old. And then now as I'm 41, I don't feel like I know what's going on. <laughs> I just, every time I feel like I figured out, I'm like, nope, that wasn't it. Got to start over again today. Do you think that's just that you know a lot more or like you didn't have as much information when you're a kid, but you were really open eyed? Or do you think you literally like had things figured out then that, that have like unraveled since? You know, my brain would go to the latter just because uh, that makes a lot less sense. But I, I think it's probably <laughs> the, uh, the previous version that if you can see things from a bigger picture at a younger age and you don't have all the other things flooding your mind, then the easy solution is right there. And so you're able to wrap onto it. Yeah. And then I think as you get older, now my mind is filled with so much stuff and yeah. <laughs> I, have, I have trouble <laughs> holding it all in. I think, uh, yeah, I think maybe some ADHD in there and then other issues that yeah. <laughs> now as I'm older, I'm like, I don't know. I can't, can't find my wallet. Yeah. Like I just had it two minutes ago. <laughs> It was like such a good thing too as a kid or before you become very self-aware. There's that magical period of time where you're like, whatever you see is how it is. And there's no, no like, I shouldn't say that or this isn't something people do. You're like, I just need to take my pants off and to go talk to this person about cats and my feelings and they will listen to me because that's what people do. And then, and then you get older and that was a strange example. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, I haven't done that in at least 10 years. So, I mean, I'm, I'm getting there. I try and not take my pants off and go talk to people about cats. Yeah. I can't promise that it won't happen still, but, you know, I try. <laughs> So you went up and played in Alaska with Maya DeVitri. Was that one of your last shows before things closed up for you? Or Yeah, I actually did that tour with Maya and it was sort of like, is this a serious thing? It was still sort of before anything had shut down and it still seemed like, oh, that's something that's happening in China maybe and could be really bad there. But I had my partner and I were, were sharing a tour in Europe after that Alaska tour and oh. it was like 30 show tour, I think. And we went. We were like talking before, I think in Alaska, I was talking to the booker for that tour. Like, is this going to, should we do this? And we had already bought all the tickets and stuff. And yeah, we played like two shows out of 30. And then it was very suddenly, oh, you got to cancel this and you got to try to get home. That's Jeffrey that you're with on that tour? Mm -hmm, yeah, Jeffrey Martin. It's kind of serendipitous in my world, not for you, but this last weekend or week or so ago, I was starting to to research you and my wife and I were celebrating our four-year wedding anniversary. We've been together for longer than that, but we were just away for the weekend and my daughter was back at her mom's house and we were in this hotel room and I heard her in the bathroom and she was listening to this singer and I was like, that sounds so familiar. I was like, who is that? And she said, oh, it's Jeffrey Martin. And I said, oh, that's on my playlist, right? And she's like, no, this is my playlist. And I was like, oh, he just came up on my, my Spotify I have him. Oh, 
yes. I have him on a playlist. And over that weekend, I started doing research and I was like, oh, I think Anna is with Jeffrey Martin. And we had been listening to Jeffrey Martin like all weekend. So I just thought it was funny that I've just been introduced to Jeffrey Martin. And I have this weird thing where if I hear a musician, I'm so happy to find new music that I love. But then I also feel this like, God, how did I not know about this before? And where have I been? I've just been under a rock. I don't know anything about music. Do you have that feeling when you find a new person? Yeah, me too. Or like, what else am I missing? Or like sends you on such a deep dive because you think if I was missing that, there must be so many other things that I'm missing. And if I can just follow this YouTube trail deep enough, surely I'll find those people. I got off track with where I was wanting to go, which was you were up in Alaska, but your father was a fisherman growing up. Yeah, for a while. He stopped when my sister and I were fairly young and did the contracting construction type work after that. But yeah, for a while, he decked candid for a while and then he had a boat and fished up there and he would go up every summer. Would it have been in Alaska then if you're coming out of Washington? Yeah. Yeah. He would go up from Washington and take his boat up, make that trip up and then fish and then come back down, which sounds so epic. I wish I'd, I never did that with him. We would sometimes go fly there and visit him, but that sounds so amazing to drive a boat all the way from Washington up to Alaska. So have you grown to be somebody that loves to be out on the ocean or, or do you, are you a shore person? I like both. I think sometimes when you grow up watching somebody that you love in their very freest environment is like you're watching your parents or your siblings or whoever. And, and there's like certain times when you can feel that they feel the best. And that especially as a kid, maybe you, you love those places because it makes that person, they just seem at peace or they seem really content. And that's always been the ocean for my dad and just being out on the boat with him or just being on a river in the ocean. I think I always will just forever have that feeling of, of like, this, oh, this is a place where I've seen this person that I love so much. Just totally content. Yeah. And like in other situations, you see them seem a little bit more tangled up or something. And yeah, I think I feel like that still about being by the water. There's a, it's like a good feeling from like watching people you love be where they need to be or something. You know, I think we have some kind of idolization for our parents at different points and in different ways. But, you know, anybody that you kind of respect and either idealize in a way or just look up to that when they're in their place of, you know, strength and positivity, that makes you go, that's something I want to do too. That's something I can do. I think yeah. too is when, you know, any of our heroes, it's like, they can do it. I, I can do it. Right. Or I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And especially like dad's a pretty soft spoken, more reserved person and and I, I don't I think as a kid. So much different than you. You're so loud and boisterous. And <laughs> yeah, I'm just all the way out there. <laughs> but just you're like always trying to read your family. And, and when you're not always talking about feelings, you're sort of putting that meaning on other things. You're like, oh, he's obviously feeling good now. And so this place must be good or this situation must be good. And are, are your parents both still around? 
Yeah. And they're still together? Yeah, they are. They're still together. We've been having sort of a renaissance of learning each other as adults, especially this year. I think lots more phone conversations and openness in a way that feels really new, I think. It's always really nice to do, to get to open up and gain a new respect or a new understanding of people that you've known for a long time. How old's your daughter? She is nine, almost 10. Yeah, she's a smart little fun person. Uh, is she very like teenager yet or not really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's 14. She, yeah. She's been 14 for the last two years. So um, uh, <laughs> she just, as she gains more knowledge, it continues on. But like I said, fun and funny person. So yeah. But she definitely uh, thinks she knows more about a lot of things than me already, which uh, <laughs> she's probably right. <laughs> like I said. <laughs> That Benjamin Buttons thing. Yeah. She's got me beat right now. She's like 100 right now and you're like 14. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> got to teach me the ways of the world. I just, I was kind of interested to hear that your parents were still together. And then how's your relationship with your sister? Is she somebody you stay in contact with? Yeah, we're really close. She lived in LA for a long time and she just moved to Portland a few years ago. So we've been sort of relearning each other as adults also, because for a long time, you just go see each other a couple times a year in person. But now being able to see each other a lot, it's a lot different. I feel like my family is learning how to see each other more honestly. And like everybody's learning to communicate in this way that Not that we were bad at loving each other, but I think everybody's learning to communicate better and better. And it's sort of painful and it's sort of beautiful. I'm sure a lot of people have gone through this, especially during the pandemic of sort of being more in each other's lives and the roughness and the big realizations about who you are and who other people are. So I feel like we're sort of doing that. And I hope that we'll keep getting better at just letting each other be who we are, you know? Yeah. Your songs a lot are sometimes dark and morose and yet, (laughs) I don't know, it sounds almost like a idealistic childhood with parents that are still together and loving. Do you feel that personally you feel a lot of strain? Like, do you feel like you're typically a, a happy person or do you feel a sadness for the world? Or do you think that is your personality that gets to come out is in your songs It's different from who you are normally. Hmm. I think I've been a really tangled up person without a place to put that. I think I've, I don't know, I've had a, a lot of inability to communicate and a lot of really unhealthy ways of dealing with that, that I still don't even know how to talk about. And yeah, I don't know, like you were saying, and I have so many friends who have started doing therapy this year. And and also I did as well. And just learning so much about yourself and like letting things out that you've never let out. And I think I'm really good at being okay for people. And I'm really bad at like really connecting and really letting myself out. I'm I'm really scared of that. And yeah, I don't, I think songs for that, like music to me is this 
that's such a wild feeling that I never had in my whole life. I mean, I grew up with these really loving, loving parents and, and, you know, and every family has their things, you know, (laughs) you know, it's just not one big rainbow, but this, this kind of connection that, that I never had access to is like playing music for people and feeling like they find something useful in it. And then they'll come up and, and be like, Oh man. And then tell you something also equally vulnerable to what you vulnerability. I think that's what I'm trying to tell you. I don't think I ever knew how to do that. And I'm learning and it's fucking terrifying. It is. It's the most, I mean, I just was a person that I thought that I was somebody that like had my heart on my sleeve my whole life. Mm -hmm. But then I realized that nobody really knew who I was for the most part, because I just kept so much inside so that everybody thought there was this this person. And uh, that person was really just the character that I was playing to make the people around me comfortable and they just didn't want to know. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I feel so confusing or like how to, yeah, I don't know. Do you feel like music has helped you to let yourself out in a way that just like normal life didn't? Definitely. Yeah. And I've, I don't know, I've just gotten like really back into like doing a lot of songwriting recently and I've got all this stuff that's been buzzing around for a while. And now I find myself like I'm in the middle of doing my day job or whatever research and I'm like I just I just gotta get this off my chest right now and I'm just gonna write down this one little thing (laughs) but with my mind I get distracted I literally was right before we were starting this was like I just gotta work on this one little piece I feel like I'm almost done with this (laughs) I do I'm so thankful to have had music because even when I was just playing by myself and not planning to even most of the time play it for other people there's something I don't know. I don't know how I would have made it without music, but that's why I spend most of my time talking to musicians and seeing what's in their yeah. brain. <laughs> yeah. So you grew up in Washington with your folks and then eventually you made it down to Portland. Did you go down there for college? I saw you were 18. You at University of Portland? Yeah, I went to the University of Portland. Yeah, that's a hard thing to describe. I, I, I think I just didn't know who I was or I just felt everybody else's voices louder than my own. And so I was like, okay, I guess I think I'm going to go do this because I've heard all these voices say you should do this. And, and you know, so maybe sort of really came undone a bit in college. You know, I think a lot of people... <laughs> have that happen, but, (laughs) you know, of like figuring yourself out. And yeah, I developed some pretty deep, sad and some pretty unhealthy bits and, and then sort of spent the next, and I didn't write songs or anything till I was maybe in my mid twenties, like 23 or 24 or something. And I played violin since I was a kid. So I always kind of knew that music was this thing where I felt really open and good, but I didn't think that was a thing you could do for a job. And yeah. So I tried to be a nurse for a little bit and then that didn't stick. And I just sort of tried to graduate as fast as I could. And Your mom was a nurse, right? Or a nurse practitioner? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So were you working as a nurse while you were in college? No, I, I was going to nursing school. Yeah. Oh, okay. But I did like a semester of nursing school and then biology just like kicked my ass and I switched out of the program. 
Yeah. I went to school and I had no idea what I wanted to do. I went to school and I was like, well, I want to do something in music, but I don't think I'm very good <laughs> at music. Anyway, I suck at music, but I love music. So I was like, well, maybe producing. I was like getting a business degree. That'll, you know, maybe guide me into that path. Yeah. So uh, I didn't make it too far in the uh, business school <laughs> at college and, and ended up studying journalism. And that was kind of, I transitioned and college to studying journalism and then went on to film and now I've kind of woven through a lot in my life. But Did journalism feel like it was the first thing that like, oh, I really do want to do this. This feels like who I am kind of or just it was like, I know I have the tools and really I just wanted to have conversations with people. I try and not do interviews as much as possible. <laughs> I try and learn as much as I can about a person before an interview, an interview in quotes. Yeah. So that I can then just have a conversation and then take pieces of what I've learned about them to drive the conversation as it goes. <laughs> See where it goes. Yeah. So it feels like two people talking more than, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So sometimes I'll talk way too much and other times I... <laughs> I didn't say a damn thing in that, <laughs> you know, I gave people <laughs> topics that they could run with. And, yeah. But uh, I was just interested because I know you, you learned or you, your grandfather played fiddle, right? Or violin. Would, would you have considered him a violinist or a fiddle player? Kind of both. Probably a, probably a violinist. I remember him playing more classical or popular pieces. I wish I could remember better. He died when I was pretty young. But I just have this like memory of he lived with my family for a while and I remember him playing and I remember it just being like this romantic, beautiful, shaky old sound. Yeah, he didn't play fiddle that I know of. I just loved that. Yeah, he would play. I think it all has always sounded really vocal to me, that instrument, a really emotive, like somebody just wailing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it feels good to hear, you know? Yeah, there's certain violinists and fiddle players where it does. It's, uh, it feels like they're crying, but it's in a good way. <laughs> yeah. Your style to me, when I hear it, sounds like a mix kind of between like some characteristics that you would hear in a fiddle players and then hear a lot of classical style to your, your sound. So I was just kind of wondering what your, what your history with the instrument and what learning it was on the training side. Did you train more classically when you were younger or? I did. I did classical for a long time. And the woman that I took lessons from as a kid would do classical, just Suzuki methods. So lots of kind of ear training mm -hmm. and stuff, which I'm so grateful for, because I think that is just maybe the what I lean toward anyway. I haven't been very great at sight reading and, and that kind of stuff, but she would do fiddle in the summers. And so it was this other world where you'd step out of the classical pieces and it would be a little bit more free and more more of a sense of humor in it and fun and scratchiness. And mm -hmm. I liked having both worlds, but I played in bands a little bit in Portland before I started writing songs. And I've never really liked the fast bluegrass for my own playing. I, do, I just don't have a drive toward becoming like a virtuosic so many notes somebody points toward you and you just take this wild outlandish solo and fling your hair around and I just don't it's just not my way and so I, I really loved uh, the more folk based I guess maybe stuff we're playing like backup fiddle that's more like harmony singing or just adding little landscape bits and I think I like it for that reason did you play with the Shook Twins for a period of time or was that just yeah I did I, I played with them for a I don't know, a few years maybe. That was such a 
introduction to the world of music and touring and feel like they they just like swooped me up and showed me so many things and they were touring on this bus at the time this the bass player's school bus that he had built out and yeah and they're just like you just come you bring your backpack and your violin and you know you can stop waiting tables and you can sleep in our basement sometimes and they were just so generous when I started writing songs they would let me play a song in the middle of their set and that was so sweet of them they didn't have to do that but it helped me I was so terrified to sing into a microphone or anything like that yeah they're great and just fun to see people doing music for a job and what that looks like and everything that goes into it and what tour feels like and and how long until you started writing songs did Anna and the underbelly go into process just a little bit I guess I think there's some thing about writing songs that nothing else has felt like that to me and I was waiting tables a bunch and kind of starting to do some things with the Shook Twins and, and some other groups around town on violin and but I just wrote a lot and had this like crazy drive to figure out what that was and to do that as much as possible and I, I remember making like a Reverb Nation page or oh, yeah. just trying to figure out and I immediately wanted to make an album which is yeah, I just think I just wanted to make stuff. Would that have been that album then that you just wanted to get out and do? Was that first one that you did as Anna in the Underbelly? Yeah. So was that just kind of a pulling together of people? What transitioned you away to just going on to your next album and just doing it as Anna Tivill compared to the Anna in the Underbelly, just a change of group? Or you just were like, I just had wanted to do something and that name sounded cool at the time. Yeah, I don't, I don't even remember now. I think I just, it felt funny to, it was never like like a band that I had. I've, I had some friends that would come play with me sometimes, but it was never like, I'm going to make a band. I think I just felt funny to call it my name, but then it felt even funnier to play by myself all the time and be like, I'm in, in the underbelly. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So I just... And then, yeah, there's also like some freedom. I don't know if I wish I was called Anna in the Underbelly still, because that maybe wasn't the best choice. But I do think having a band name, that's kind of a nice separation, it seems like, because they're part of that that you like. Yeah. So now you're going to go on tour with Mipso. Is that beginning in September sometime in the fall? Yeah, that's a handful of dates at the end of September. I think you're coming to Colorado. Yeah, coming to Colorado, which I haven't been for a long time. I'm excited to play those rooms, especially. I've been listening to their newest album. I really like it. And I always kind of like to watch the way a band works from the, you know, you get to go open for somebody and climb in their van for a stretch of time and you get to kind of see the inner workings of how creativity works and how interpersonal stuff works and what people's senses of humor are like and how people travel. You get to do your favorite thing, which is to watch <laughs> other people. I know. <laughs> In their and then you can write a song. About it. I was having this thought the past two weeks that I've been on this tour and it felt so new again to be out traveling around and there's been so much alone time the past year and I would like play a show and then be like, okay, yes, now I get to go be alone like go and then having this thought of like god is this does everybody feel like this or is this like an extreme case of just permanently wanting to i want to be around people and then i'm like so excited to be done with that and think i feel bad about it sometimes <laughs> 
I've described myself as an introverted extrovert. You know, I can, I can get into the moment and be around the people and love it for a period of time. Sometimes not always, but you know, if I'm in the right setting and then there is a moment where I'm like, and now I want to go away and I can be with my wife more than I guess a lot of people can. Like I can be around her to an extent. She probably more than she can be around me. (laughs) (laughs) But there's a time after I'm around people where I'm like, all right, and I'm done with this. And I I don't want to do this anymore. And then I feel guilty about it. (laughs) Yeah, totally. I've been noticing in myself a lot that the feeling of one-on-one and the feeling of lots of people is so different for the amount of capacity I have for it. Do you feel like that where if you're just with like one person, your need to leave is the same? No, no. I can do one-on-one better, I think, than the large group. I can, if I'm in my one-on-one situation, then I don't know, the anxiety and the other things that crawl through my brain don't seem to get around me. It's just like when I get around a big group, if I lose that point where I am engaged in the conversation then I need to be away. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like I can be a part of a big group and like be, and if, if I'm jiving and like thoughts are working and it's working in this group, but if I get to the point where I'm watching for too long and then I don't feel like I can interject myself back <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm just gonna, <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> just gonna fade. Yeah. I got to go. Oh, look at the time. I don't have a watch or wear yeah. one, but I know that it's it's past that time when I need to leave. Yeah. 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 Dealing with humans is hard. I think tour has taught me to see myself as a cup or something and not in like a optimist, pessimist way, but a, like I need to empty out. And then tour is like this constant and it feels really good all the way until you get to the top where you're like, all these experiences and people's stories and you're like trying to be really open to everything and it feels really inspiring and it pushes your edges and you're uncomfortable in all these good ways. And then there's like this moment where your cup is full and you just know it and there's just no, there's no going back until you have some time alone. And and I've found a lot on tour if, if I get all the way full and then I just say, whatever, I'm just going to keep going and not take any time and just keep like talking to people and being as open as I can. And I just like break into a thousand pieces and I'm not good at picking yourself back up again. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It definitely taught me to trust that feeling and that it's okay. You don't have to feel like I should be able to be in a crowded space every night and really try to connect with people every night without like sometimes setting boundaries or whatever. I think it might be boundaries that I'm talking about. Call it your Humpty Dumpty moment. Yeah, totally. I'm at the edge of the wall. If you fall off, there's there's no going back. So just when you yeah. start feeling that Humpty Dumpty moment, just take a look around and figure out that, you know what, this is this is time for me to push myself back onto the wall before I fall off. Yeah, it's okay to not be able to, to have really deep conversations all the time or something that you get full and then you need to go process some stuff and then you can go out there again. But I like the discomfort of it, though. I was thinking on this tour how good it feels or how fueling of creativity and to like be out of your box, be out of your comfort zone and to be, you know, sleeping in a different place every night and talking to strangers. And it's like such a good way to like get so raw that you let all these new experiences in. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I've always liked traveling, but then 
I also liked coming home some of the times. Yeah. So you have Two Dark Horses, which is a new song and it's going to be on a new album. Is that an album that's already finished recording and, and in the, the other processes or is that something that you're still in the process of recording? Yeah, it's all done. We, we made it in the beginning of February before the pandemic happened. Oh, okay. Yeah. So. During the pandemic, we finished like the mixing and stuff, and but it, it's just in its holding pattern pool of unknowns for a little bit, I think. You still don't know when that one's coming out? Yeah, hopefully by the winter. But yeah, it's sort of in the land of trying to figure out how to drum up all the things it takes to put a record out, you know. Yeah, it, yeah. It, the pandemic sort of took a big shit on some of those things. So trying to refigure out how to do that. But I would put it out today if I could. Yeah, I'm sure. It's been sitting for a while. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. sure the you feel like, you know, this is a good year in the wine reference way. It's it's ready. It's ready ready to be opened. Yeah, I love that you're doing this because I, I listen to a lot of podcasts on tour and stuff. And as I've interviews with musicians, are, they always feel so good to hear. And I feel like there's a lot of podcasts that are like, what kind of chords do you use? And like, tell me about your success story. What I really want to hear is about people's like really messy feelings. And so I'm, I'm so glad that this exists. I, that's what I hope. I mean, that's my goal for the show. Some people let you in. Yeah. Usually I get there by the end, but yeah, some people it takes longer than others. Well, I appreciate it. I'm glad you like the format and hopefully more and more people continue to do so so I can keep doing this. <laughs> so last two questions before we go. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to promote or anything that you want to let people know about? I don't so I'm just the Blue World album that just came out and yeah this new one that'll come out eventually either tomorrow or in like three (laughs) years or whatever that's that's kind of all I think once the uh distribution gods let you know when, when that is they shine the light from above yeah the last question is do you have any words of wisdom or sage advice or thoughts that have just been roaming around that uh, would be good for the world to hear right now? I don't ever really feel like I have very sage things floating around in my mind, but I, I do feel like this this year has like reinforced the feeling in me that listening is like one of the most powerful ways to be in the world and to move through the world and to, I don't know, I, I think it seems like there's a kind of listening that doesn't involve judging or, or listening through the lens of your own experience, but, but like real, real listening. And I've been, I've been trying to challenge myself more to listen that way. And, and it feels like something that I kind of want to make a life doing and maybe is something that could help see people more honestly and, and be more connective than constant yelling. <laughs> yeah. I think that's your empath side, uh, trying to just see people for what they are and Sometimes that just requires listening and sometimes people have some pretty controversial ideas to our own and it makes it very difficult to just keep listening without talking back. But I think the world right now definitely needs to understand that we're all humans and we all have our different things that are going on and different things driving us. I think there's some kinder folks out there and then some less kind folks and hopefully the number can topple in the right direction. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. So like multiple things can be true at once and all, you know, like so many truths happening in every person that somebody can be just angry and awful and hurting and (laughs) searching and loving all at the same time. Letting, letting all those things exist is so hard because you want to like lash out at the worst things you see in people. And that's so much easier to do maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I want to work on it for sure because it seems like a good thing to, to hold in your heart. Yeah, I think that's good for, I think it's good advice for everybody. Well, Anna, it was really nice to meet you and hopefully I'll get to see you when you come through in October. You too. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you. Good to meet you. Yeah. Bye. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Somewhere waiting for me My lover stands on golden sands And watches the ships that go sailing I'm going to feel dumb if I get this wrong, but is that a Frank Sinatra one? It's Bobby Darren. Okay. Similar-ish. Other people confuse those two, right? That's not like just me being bad at stuff. Probably. Okay. All right, I'll I think take it. Both hit people a lot. Hit people. Yeah. Like physical altercations. 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 Like physical altercations. Um, that was like a nine-year-old boy from New Jersey. Maybe. Maybe. Okay, so today we're here to talk about Anna Tivill. And isn't it crazy that Jeffrey Martin ended up being her partner? Uh, it was kind of funny in the episode. I I appreciate that you gave me credit, sort of, but not really, with the introduction to Jeffrey Martin, because I definitely feel like that was one of my Spotify finds that I was very proud of. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. And Anna has her new album out, Blue World, that is some reworks of some of her older songs and is piano heavy and partially inspired by Nina Simone and piano. Anna said Nina and piano, but if you're looking for it, it's Nina Simone and piano. It was recorded in 1968, released in 1969, and is by American jazz singer, songwriter, and civil rights activist Nina Simone. On Nina Simone and piano, Nina actually accompanies herself on the piano. She was the sixth of eight children born to a poor family in Tryon, North Carolina. Simone initially aspired to be a concert pianist. Pianist, With the help of a few supporters in her hometown, she enrolled in the Juilliard School of Music in New York City. She then applied for a scholarship to study at Curtis Institute of Music in Philadelphia, where she was denied admission despite a well-received audition, which she attributed to racism. In 2003, just days before death, the Institute awarded her an honorary degree. Wow. Yeah. That doesn't quite do the trick. It doesn't. It just seems like you just, it's just a little bit short. It is. I mean, she was still alive, but I don't know if she, she probably gave it a middle finger before she Right. I kind of have to imagine. Cool. Thanks for this guys. Could have used that for all of the other opportunities I was passed up on. Yeah. Lame. Like 50 something years before. But Nina was born Eunice Kathleen Wayman. She lived from 1933 to 2003. In order to fund her private lessons, Simone performed at the Midtown Bar and Grill on Pacific Avenue in Atlantic City, New Jersey, whose owner insisted that she sing as well as play the piano, which increased her income to $90 a week. In 1954, she adopted the stage name Nina Simone. 
Nina, derived from Nina, which was a nickname given to her by her boyfriend named Chico. And Simone was taken from the French actress Simone Sigourney. Simone Sigourney. Would it be Simone Sigourney? I don't know, with the Italian. Whom she had seen in the 1952 movie Cosque d'Or. Knowing her mother would not approve of playing the devil's music, (laughs) she used her stage name to remain undetected. Simone's mixture of jazz, blues, and classical music in her performances at the bar earned her a small but loyal fan base, and it grew from there. Wow. Pretty good singer. Mm. Piano player. She could tickle the ivories, as they say. Mm. I don't know if I love that phrase. It's a phrase. I I think I I hate tickling, the word tickling and the idea of tickling. And then after we saw that whole tickle documentary, it's just kind of, it's gone down this really gross path for me that I just, bleh. I've never liked being tickled. It's one of the only things that will make me punch you like unconsciously. Like my feelings about biting. Yeah. So many times I've had to tell you that if you bite me again, I will divorce your ass. Yeah. It's a big deal. I know, but you keep saying it. You know, it's and kind yet of, it's still the, here we are. Yeah, it's kind of the boy that cried wolf at this point. I don't bite you when I'm awake. <laughs> <laughs> How is that better? I don't know. It's, I can't. You, I feel like you should sleep with a muzzle on if you bite in your sleep. Well, I mean, it's the only time I've ever bitten you. That's not the only time. You it's have not. bit me while awake. But the last time you bit me, you were dead asleep. Yes. And I yeah. didn't know what was going on. Oh, yeah. I wake up to you going, ah. No, I was saying, what the F? And I felt bad because we were sleeping in a camper with your daughter there. And she woke up to me also screaming, what the F? Why did you just bite me? Why did you just bite me? (laughs) So in the interview, we were talking about parents and kind of having different feelings about Mm -hmm. the parents at different points in our life. And within the same section, like almost in the same breath, I said, idolization and idealization and they actually mean two different things and I heard myself say it as I was going back through it and so I just wanted to point out the difference between idolization and (laughs) idealization. Idolization is to worship as a god broadly and idealization is the action of regarding or representing something as perfect or better than reality. Or ideal. Ideal. Ideal idol. I-D-O-L, I-D-E-A-L. And I used them both correctly. It just sounds confusing because I say idolization. And then right after that, I just, I flipped the switch and went idealization. Well, you know, I'm glad you got that off your chest. That must have been weighing very heavily on you. Oh, also, since we're getting stuff off of our chests. Oh, you're not going to talk about the dishwasher again, are you? No. Okay. All right, go ahead. A little bit of house cleaning from Joe's episode. Mm. We were talking about Joe Troop and we were talking about Woody Guthrie. Right. And I said that Woody Guthrie's guitar said... Somehow I knew it was going to go back to the bumper sticker on the guitar. This machine kills fascists. Uh Uh-huh. In the episode, I ended up naming it This Machine. Okay. And I said, you know, I think Joe should have that on his banjo. Okay. And you said, no, maybe he should have his own thing. Right. And later that night, I was editing the pictures for the episode. And he has it? He has Esta Machina Derumba Tirania, which is This Machine Overthrows Tyranny. Holy buckets. That's hilarious. Yeah. Also, I like that he does have his own thing. He's got his own thing that is definitely inspired by Woody Guthrie, but we had that whole conversation. Right. 
and he already had it on his banjo. But isn't that funny that we had that conversation? It is, yeah. Another bit of serendipity. Mm-hmm. The Shook Twins that I mentioned that she played mm-hmm. yeah. violin with, they're from Idaho, but they've been based in Portland for a long time. Where Western. in Idaho? Uh, I can't remember where in Idaho. I was really interested about places in Idaho because there's like two places that people live in Idaho. Sandpoint, Idaho. That's close to Coeur d'Alene. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a really cute little town. Okay. I believe it has a lake in it. They formed in 2004, and the main core of the band are the actual Shook twins, and they're identical twin sisters, Caitlin and Lori Shook, and they're kind of like an indie rock folk rock band, but I like them a lot, and I hope they come on eventually. Very cool. And this is me putting it out into the world. Yes. But also we're just fans of their hometown. It's a really cute place. And their music. And their music. More than the hometown. More I, than the did hometown? I, I, did I go to Sandpoint? You wouldn't have gone through Sandpoint, okay. no. All right. No. So Anna mentioned that, you know, when she was starting up her band, Anna and the Underbelly, uh, not plural, she mentioned Reverb Nation, which is kind of a band site. It's like Bandcamp or SoundCloud, but it has some similarities almost in like the way that it looks to like the old MySpace pages, like the um, MySpace band pages. You're a That's big fan my of thought. MySpace. Yeah, but they have charts and other stuff. So it's it's definitely like an improvement upon MySpace. But these days it seems like most folks go with either Bandcamp or SoundCloud. I hadn't heard Reverb Nation in a while, mm-hmm. so I, I don't know. But um, I still loved MySpace for the music. <laughs> You're going to be talking about MySpace until the end of time, really. Yeah. I don't use SoundCloud or Bandcamp too much for like searching for music because of Spotify. Mm-hmm. But you can find like smaller bands on SoundCloud and Bandcamp. And so I do, I do peruse it sometimes. I'm just not as good as I used to be about going and trying to find like real. Because I mean, Spotify is pretty. Spotify is great for finding music. Yeah, you can find. And podcasts. Well, that that's all we got in the wrap up time. That is all we have? Yeah. Okay, you weren't joking around. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have a lot of facts. We we talked about a lot of personal like. It was a lot, lot of, of. Yeah, feelings. It was a lot of feelings. For someone who feels so uncomfortable about putting her feelings out into the world, she does seem very articulate about about sharing. I, I thought she was beautiful to listen to. And for someone who feels like she needs, you know, this 29 hours of chaos to get a clear and concise message across, I really enjoyed listening to her talk about feelings and putting that stuff out into the world and her process. Yeah, I mean, I've, I love every episode and conversation for different reasons but i really really enjoyed that conversation a lot yeah it was one of my favorites cool girl yeah well i love you i love you and i love all of you and please 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 join us on patreon at patreon.com backslash live from banjo podcast and just remember kid we're all in this together 